श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए कोर भक्तवृंद की जाए ओ प्रेमानंदे बोलो हरि बो discourse on the yoga Krishna rests in his speech and Arjun questions Arjun vacha Arjun said yo yam yoga stvaya prokta samyena madhusudana etasyaham napashyami chanchalatvastitam stiram Chanchalam himanaha krishna pramati balabadviram tasyam nigraham manye vayuriva sudhuskaram. So, Arjuna says that, uh, O Madhusudana, name for Krishna, the system of yoga you have described that calls for evenness of mind does not appear realistic because of the mind's unsteady nature. For the mind is so fickle disturbing, powerful, and obstinate, O Krishna, that I think that subduing it is as difficult as trying to control the wind. So, sorry for the students to have some doubts, but they should be presented with some sense of confidence that they will be dispelled. Sometimes we are led to believe that we shouldn't doubt or question. That's part of how we grow, of course, and that example is here in Bhagavad Gita. Arjuna has lots of doubts, but Krishna is capable of dispelling them, and so he respectfully places them before him. So here are his doubts, and they're very practical. This is uh, the setting, of course, of the Gita as a battlefield, as you well aware, and, uh, and Arjuna had to do battle with his own friends and relatives, as it turns out. And he's been told that you should see friends and relatives equally. <laughs> and Krishna's at the same time encouraging him to take part in the, in the battle. So you see your friends and your relatives and enemies equally. It's pretty hard to pursue the... Uh, the battle at the same time, so he's thinking it's not very practical what you're talking about. It may be something that can be done for some time by some people, but for all people at all times, this is, doesn't seem to be the case. He addresses him as Madhusudana, Madhusudana. It means, it refers to Krishna's capacity to do away with. Uh, demons here. The demons are doubts. So, demons of doubt. So he uses this name to express to, uh, some confidence that, although what he's presented seems very unrealistic, and therefore Arjuna has some doubts and reservations. Still, as I say, with faith and respect and confidence in Krishna, he places his doubt. And uh, once. His doubts, destroyed doubts are, are, well, it's a kind of the opposite of faith, isn't it? So when we have doubt or when we have suspicion, then we, that such suspicion lends towards uh, 
lends to sus- suspension. We are our faith in a sense. And um, so life is animated by, by faith. Faith is not really a belief. There's a difference, in, theologically speaking, between faith and belief. Belief is kind of a um, something that's uh, cognitive. You do it with your head, but faith you do with your heart. And if faith is 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 not a a a thinking thing as much as it is is an activity. It's an answer to um, to truth. Uh, to to uh, it's a rising, if you will, to the occasion of uh, of truth and, and applying oneself, in other words, accordingly. So that's quite a bit of difference between thinking about something. Do I believe in God or do I not believe in God? And having a debate and, and so forth. Faith is the removal of doubt and so it's, 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 and doubt suspends animation. When we doubt about something, we are suspended in terms of going forward. We hesitate. And there may be place for that. Doubt is also therefore a sign of, of, of intelligence. Hesitation has its value. Uh, fools rush in where angels dare to tread. But it's also said that he who hesitates is lost. Nothing risk, nothing gained. So somehow we have to find uh, the, the balance between these maxims and um, make progress towards the truth. So with good guidance, like Madhusudana, who's shown himself, Krishna, capable of destroying so many doubts, with good reasoning, with reference to, to revelation, by his own example, and so on and so forth. As much as there is some doubt in Arjuna, there is some confidence at the same time of Krishna. And as we'll see in sadhana, in spiritual practice, this is, this is required. It kind of moves the spiritual practice in two ways, through effort and through grace. Both. Find combination of both. If, for example, let us say I am walking in the woods and you're in the bottom of an old dried-up well that you've fallen into, so you have no recourse but to call for help. So, I hear your call, and then I take a rope and I throw it to you. And you're so thankful that I've come along and thrown you the rope, and I tell you, hold on to that rope now and I'll pull you up. So I pull you up to the top, and when you get there, you say, just see, I really held on to that rope pretty good, didn't I? <laughs> no, that doesn't even enter your mind. You think, you saved me. You, it's all your whole sense is that you were saved. But you had something to do with it. You had to call out. You had to hold on to the rope. But what is the value of your calling and holding on to the rope if there's not someone on the other end who hears the call and throws the rope and pulls you up? So, some emphasis on grace, but effort is also required. And how to make the effort is even possible by grace, by the rope, and the instruction, and so on and so forth. So, the sense and the, and the reality 
of spiritual progress, how it's experienced by the uh, devotee, is that it's by grace. In other words, that the amount of effort that I put in was immense, I thought. I gave everything, but what I got far outweighed what that, whatever that effort was many times over. So both of these things are important. We weigh more on, on, on grace because by grace alone we could be delivered from our uh, predicament. But we will not dwell on grace alone in a way that's unbecoming, as if to say, well, if, if God wants to deliver me, then I'll be, and he will. I'll make no effort. We should make an effort as if our uh, enlightenment depended exclusively on it with that type of intensity, while full knowing that by grace alone it would be possible. So, to remove doubt, this is the position of the uh, of the teacher. Arjuna has placed a doubt. His doubt is causing some, as I say, some hesitation, some suspension. Suspicion leads to suspension, but it's natural also. So there's a learning curve. There will be some suspension. There will be some doubt. But how to, how to then resolve it? It's not by keeping within and it will just grow. Bring it out and place it before the right person, a person in whom we have uh, some confidence. So his doubt is very practical. I mean, as I say, he's there. He has to fight a war and he's supposed to see his friend enemies as his, as equals to his friends and and so forth. So it, it tells us also, his his questioning tells us also that yoga is um, will not be seen as very practical to a lot of people. <laughs> They'll think that you're a little bit eccentric to, to be in a place like this. Uh, what does it uh, really uh, value does it have to the real world? Something like that. We have a saying at our, our monastery that, that when the monks, monastics, first come for some time, then they think, every now and then, what bearing does my practice have on the world? So much is going on in the world, and it's a busy place, and there are headline events every day that um, seem important. Here I am in the monastery, up on, uh, in the re- reclusive place. And what, what bearing does my practice have on the world? And there, so there's a pulling of the world on the, uh, on the monastic. But after time, he or she comes to the, the thinking starts to reverse. What bearing does the world have on my practice? <laughs> Really, it will go on like this. News headlines, and as if something as big is just about to happen. <laughs> you read the news as if something that's going to happen. Something is happening. The, the real yoga practitioner knows. I, I was delivering some milk the other day we, at our monastery in California. We, we um, raise cows and we sell raw milk, raw organic milk. We actually sell shares of our cows to people, and then they have the right to enjoy some of the fruits of the cow in the form of the milk. It's a very nice program. So we were delivering some milk, and I went along, and 
we were delivering it to a fellow whom, it, with whom, a family with whom we were placing a cow, which is another thing that we do. We place cows with families who want to get away from the dairy industry and so forth and uh, have their own milk. And we encourage them to do what we're doing also, to sell shares of their cow and this way, in a small way, to uh, propagate this type of um, program. And so uh, it was a nice family, and uh, I had gone because we were also delivering a cow. And so the man of the house, he asked me, he had some regard for us and all, and he asked me what I thought of uh, you know, the world situation and, and so forth. He thought it was getting pretty bad, and that's one of the reasons he was getting his own cow. And they grew their own f- food there, vegetables and fruits, and so now they got their dairy so they wouldn't have to go to the store and he wanted to get more in, insulated from the world, I guess, and and his problems and so he asked what I thought and how it was how it was going out there, how bad it was. And I laughed and I said, We're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> it's as bad as that. <laughs> he went, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, said, I guess that's sort of the bottom line, isn't it? So so I said, you're doing okay, you know. <laughs> but add a little yoga to your life, too. You're going to die. So this is, this is the problem. The extensive self that we've um, arrived at, materially speaking, is one that's not uh, defendable. It's, it's, it's something that will pass, and we shouldn't waste too much time on trying to defend it, to sustain it. Sustain it enough that you can do spiritual practice. That makes sense, but not to everybody. <laughs> like I said, you'll look a little eccentric, but death is the real thing. That's very practical. And that's something that the world tends to ignore. The great uh, Yudhisthira, one of the Pandava brothers of Arjuna, who's asking the question here in the Gita, in the Mahabharata, which is the greater context in which this Bhagavad Gita appears as one chapter, he was asked once that what is the most wonderful thing amazing thing in the world and he replied that the most amazing thing is that although everyone's dying everyone acts as if they're not he says such is the power of Vishnu Maya people are deluded people are not very practical Uh, so yoga is very uh, practical but it won't appear as such to most people. It was mentioned here in the last verse that we discussed, in a sense, how practical it is. Because it's a striving, in a sense, to find kind of the ground. Here's common ground. We're all dying. Our sense of material self is not something that can be maintained, we can't endure. We should do something about it. To find that common ground with other uh, human beings, forge a bond on that basis. And um, in our, Arjuna was encouraged by Krishna to try in this way to see equally, to see the, the suffering of others as if it is one's own and so forth. And of course with regard to the battle that is before Arjuna, if we look carefully at the Gita we see that he's really teaching him in, about yoga. He's teaching him to, to, to die himself to a sense of friends and enemies 
in a shallow sense of love that causes me to love one and not another, another and come to a deeper and universal sense of love. So it's very practical, actually. Philosophical, practical, with its application and so forth. But um, Arjuna is kind of expressing how most people might react. And then the challenge is there to control the mind to the extent that uh, Krishna has spoken about. And he thinks this is not an easy thing. It's, um, it appears unre- un, uh, um, uh, unrealistic. And he's given an example to support his premise, his doubt. What does he say? Chanchalam hi manaha krishna pramati balavadridam tasyaham nigrahammani vayuriva saduskaram. He says it's chanchalam, it's fickle, the mind. It's very obstinate and uh, strong. And I think, here's the example, that to try to control the mind is like to try to capture the wind. It's all over the place, <laughs> so to speak. It's all over the place and raging, and and uh, I don't think it's possible. Now, something's going on here also um, underneath his objections to yoga, and that is his own status as a devotee of Bhagavan Sri Krishna. In other words, he has a leaning towards bhakti. Not that bhakti is not yoga, and not that the things that are described in this chapter on the Stanga Yoga are not included within bhakti. But nonetheless, bhakti is a path unto itself. It's an entirely descending path, and yoga is a rather an ascending path to a much larger extent. It requires the descent of some grace, that ascending technique, subtle technique of yoga will be effective. And bhakti takes courage uh, from the idea of fully depending on uh, the uh, descent of Bhagwan's uh, grace. The effort in bhakti for grace is something like this. If, let us say, a young girl wants to attract a young boy, and she finds out the young boy likes red, so she puts on a red dress at the bus stop where they meet and haven't talked yet every morning. Or she finds out something else about him that he likes, and she, he, he likes um, roses, so she puts one in her hair and so forth. And so she, she finds out the ways in that, that, that what he is attracted to and then she positions herself accordingly. So the effort in bhakti is something like this. We find out that which is favorable to Krishna. And we center our life around that. This is the effort that attracts the sympathy then, the attention of Bhagwan, his grace, and then we go up by that. It's uh, different. It's not as technique-oriented as it is uh, grace-oriented. After all, it's entirely heart exercise. When you say, Oh, Krishna, Hare Krishna, 
It's kind of this kind of giving up. The hands go up means I'm giving up. And it's in the and uh, this Krishna Nam chanting is in the vocative case. So it's uh, it's a kind of a celebratory and exasperation at the same time. There's no I have no recourse. You know the story of Draupadi, in, in, in perhaps in Mahabharata. Draupadi is the wife of Arjuna and others, and uh, as it turned out, and she was in a difficult situation, such that she that she was part of the prize of a gambling match, and the match was lost, and so the winners won Draupadi, and they want they wanted to dis- disrobe her in the public, very unbecoming, but uh, such was their nature, and so she was holding on to her. Sari. She was wrapped in a traditional Hindu sari, and she was holding onto it with one hand. The other hand, she was reaching up, Oh Govinda, Oh Krishna, and the sari was unraveling. And so she let go with the other hand, and put both hands up, said, Oh Krishna. And then the sari continued to, uh, continued to unravel, but it just continued and continued, and it had no end. And so Krishna wrapped her in an unlimited sorry, and she didn't have to hold on to it at all. But she held on with one hand, made some effort in, in, in that sense, rather than complete dependence, which is an effort to depend. Bhakti is an effortless effort. It's an effort towards effortlessness, something like that. An effort, we have to make an effort to be dependent because we are very conditioned for many lifetimes, of thinking independently and making our own um, stand, so to speak, against nature, against time. And although we're defeated time and again, time and again, and again we have to take birth, and again die, and again take birth, and again try to defend a sense of identity that is not defendable, and although nature itself is speaking loudly to us, as I quoted the other day, the sun, Ayur Harati Vaipumsam so Ayur Harati, you know, Ayurved. So Ayur means life. Ayur Harati means life taken away. With the rising and the setting of the sun, our life as we know it, materially speaking, is being taken away. But we don't pay any attention to it. What could speak louder to you than, than the wheel of time in a, in a, as it's depicted in the form of the sun and going across the sky or, uh, every day? It's telling you this, but we don't pay any attention. In fact, we're, if we do, we, we're resisting it. So we're making a concerted effort. The, the message is we're a dependent entity. But our stance materially is one of unwillingness to to surrender and accept the fact. We want to be independent. So we're going against the grain. So bhakti is an effort to to give up this kind of effort, if you will. Because we're conditioned to it for a long time, it takes some effort to surrender, to, to just give up and stop depending upon these fallible... Um, soldiers, so to speak, that we've amassed. The strength of our senses, uh, physically speaking, the strength of our intelligence, the strength of our, our minds. These are products 
really of our resistance to the reality of our being a dependent entity. And that's not a bad thing to be a dependent entity. It depends who, you, who you're dependent upon. If you're dependent upon the source of everything, then what's the problem? Earlier in the Gita, Krishna says, Bhuktaram jagatapasam sarvaloka maheshwaram. I am the enjoyer of everything. I am the controller of everything. So this kind of like, whoa, pushes you against the wall. Everything for, for Krishna, what's left for me? But then he says, Suhidam sarvabhutanam ganatvamam shantimichiti. The implication is, if you accept that my position, which is just what it is, someone has to be the center, something has to be the center, something has to be the source. So when the source speaks up, he's going to sound that egotistical, like we said earlier, but appropriately so, he's the center. So we, when we accept it, he says, if you accept that I'm the source of everything, if you accept that I'm the controller of everything, I'm the enjoyer of, of everything, then suhridam, then you become my friend. Then we are, and suddenly we're on friendly terms. So what was your position? You're trying to be the enjoyer, trying to be the controller, and it's difficult. Now you give up and you become the friend of the person who is the controller of everything, who owns everything. Your position has become so, so much better and it's so much easier. If you know someone who's very wealthy and can provide, and you're good friends with him, then what do you have to worry about? So to be on friendly terms with the Godhead, this is the idea of bhakti. So it's a different kind of effort. It's a yoga, but it's the full exercise of heart, more so than technique. Now technique may be employed to some extent, but the the technique is something like I said, it's like situating, posturing, situating oneself in such a way as to attract the attention of Krishna. So what I mean by something underlying the resistance of Krishna or Arjuna, other than the fact that it is difficult to control the mind, and he's got a practical task before him that seems to make the way he should think even more impractical, he says, when he gives this example, Chanchalam Himanaha Krishna, here he calls out the name Krishna, it means he's more inclined towards this, Krishna. He's more inclined towards bhakti. He's a bhakta. He's more inclined towards this is his nature. He's got an acquired bhakti sanskar, a tendency for bhakti. By good company, by good association, this will come in us so that this will become easy. You can have yoga sanskar, you can have jnana sanskar, you can have bhakti sanskar, all by sangha. And in, in bhakti, sangha is everything. Sangha means association. In, in jnana marg, how do we advance? By vairagya, de, by, by, by detachment. Jnana marg means the, the path of knowledge. In bhakti marg, how do we advance? Not by detachment, but by attachment. Attachment to good sangha. By sangha we advance, by good company. That's how we make progress. What is it said that Dosanad Ashvabhavarga Bhartmani Shadharati Bhaktamanukranashati? That Satam Prasangam, Satam Prasangam, 
if the if the sangha is sat, sat sangha, right? If the sangha is sat, satam prasanga mamavirya sambido, and what will make it sat, mamavirya sambido? People get together to talk about things, usually themselves, directly or indirectly. <laughs> when I was a young man, only about twenty-one, I came to the conclusion that in social circles where I was conducting myself, that the real aim of everyone was only to speak about themselves, directly or indirectly. That was my thought. And I thought, and none of us are worthy, really, of the attention of everyone else, even for a moment. <laughs> so I took a vow of silence. And for some, I would not say anything, but I would... I, I read the Hare Krishna mantra on the back of an incense pack, so I used to chant that in my mind. Is where I ended up as a result of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so anyway, so Arjuna is a devotee. He's more inclined towards devotional yoga. This is his technique. O Krishna, Chanchalam, Mimanaha Krishna, Pramati Balabhadridam, Tasyaham, Nigraham, Mane, Vayuriva, Saluskaram. He's thinking that um, he's not fit. He hasn't got yoga sangskar. He's not really fit for this yoga path. He has a tendency towards bhakti by good sangha. This can come in us. Then not that yoga is bad, not that jnana is bad, but they're a little different from from bhakti. That the, the, the path is different, the, and, the, and, the, and so he's going to understand the goal will be a little bit different also. Here, the advocacy in bhakti is we want intimacy with the Absolute. We want intimacy with the Absolute. This is the emphasis. In Gyanmarg, the emphasis is I want to get away from misery. After all, it's a path of knowledge. And ignorance causes misery. The root of the misery of material life is avidya. Ignorance, and it manifests in the in the form of actions that produce reactions, karma that cause us to undergo the trials and tribulations of material life. So, the pain of material existence, then, if you will, is the primary impetus in Gyan Marg. Because it's simple; it's it, you want to replace ignorance with knowledge. Well, it's not a bad idea. But the largely the impetus is negative for taking up the path. That's why Gyanmarg, like Buddhism, is kind of a negative theology. I don't mean that in a negative way, but it doesn't have a lot of positive content to it. Zero in numbers has positive content in comparison to negative numbers. That's true. But there may be positive numbers then. What's their position? So bhakti is more interested, the impetus for bhakti is devotion. It's not concerned with being freed from misery. Now you can understand how much of a devotee you are. <laughs> it's with, with no concern for that. It's not about getting away from the world. It's not about that. 
if to be in the world will be useful for serving Krishna, then we do it. No problem. Bhakti is difficult to understand because it's 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 overtly it's not very um, transcendental in its appearance. It's rather ordinary. The devotees are doing all types of ordinary things, but with a different consciousness behind it. That's all. And sometimes they're enjoying, rather than fasting. They're eating sumptuously, and you think, what does this have to do with yoga? It's been said earlier in this chapter, one should not eat too much, one should be very careful about these things, huh? to control yourself. It's difficult when in such, Krishna eats so nicely, and Uddhava in, Bhagavad, in Bhagavatam, he came before Krishna, wearing the vestments of Krishna. Krishna was in Dwarka, and he was living as a prince. So you can imagine, he had some pretty nice outfits there, <laughs> as a prince. And so when he was, one was, he was no longer interested in wearing it anymore, then he retired his suit of clothes, and different devotees would then wear them, right? It's like you hand down your clothes to your children or something like that. So Uddhava was, came before Krishna wearing his vestments, and he said, this is our yoga. And Uddhava was, was tattvavit, you know, a very shastravit, very, he was the counselor of Krishna. He would, Krishna would ask questions about the kingdom and then Uddhava would give a scriptural reference to you should do like this according to this book and according to this book, you're very learned and so forth. Mm-hmm. So he knew all the systems of spiritual practice and so forth. He came before Krishna and said, this is our yoga. By this alone we will conquer over material existence if we even care about it. Just by wearing the vestments, it means by taking the prashad, it's a kind of a form of, we, we live on the remnants of Krishna. And he eats nicely. So there'll be some enjoyment in bhakti. And there'll be some renunciation also. If something's not favorable for the service of Krishna, even though it might be appealing otherwise, then we will give it up. So the, the point here is that the focus is dedication, not renunciation, neither enjoyment, not rejecting the world, neither exploiting the world. Karma marg means for taking from the world. And because it's, it's not really satisfying, no matter how much we take and possess, after some point of possessing, we start to move away from that, giving up. Giving up the world, going after the world. These are two polar opposites. And bhakti is in the middle. It's not about... It harmonizes both of these tendencies that on their own will not get us anywhere spiritually. But in the context of bhakti, there's some healthy renunciation and there's some healthy enjoyment. Therefore, for, for arikari, to have eligibility for bhakti, one cannot be too much, have too much for gan samskar or too much of a karma or bhog samskar tendency. So you have the bhakti sankar, true good sangha, good, good company with devotees. So Arjuna is like this. There's a little built-in resistance due to his, uh, the result of his sangha. He's a devotee. Built-in resistance to a method, a spiritual practice, as recommended here in this chapter by Arjuna, by Krishna, that falls short of, of the full face of bhakti. 
So chanchalam mahi mana krishna pramati balabadridam tasyaham nigraham mande vayuriva suduskaram. He's made a good point too. The mind is pretty difficult to control. I don't know if it's really, this is really practical. You've given all these techniques and whatnot and, you know, but this, this chitta has lots of riti. The, here there's a tidal wave in the ocean of my, of my, my chitta. Chitta vritti nirodha. To make, to make nirodha, the, the chitta means to do away with the vrittis, the waves, the, all the impressions and so forth that are just passing through our mind. As I said, this chitta is like a, like a mirror also. It reflects the world. And then we see, we see the object through the chitta and it causes a vritti, a wave in that. And because it's not placid, it's, 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 it's a, uh, the reflection of What's reflected on it, what we see is a distorted picture of the world. So, what does Chaitanya Dev say with regard to Bhakti? He says, Cheto Darpanamarjana. And this is the first step from this. He said, he's speaking about chanting, just like we were chanting earlier. He said, this kind of kirtan, it produces the result of Chitta Britti Nirodha very easily. It's no wonder that Arjuna has some resistance to this. He says, oh, Krishna. The implication is, it would be easier to do kirtan, I think, than, than this. And we could get the same result, isn't it? And more, because chetodapranamajana means to cleanse the mirror of the mind, to, to cleanse the chitta, to take out the vrittis of material life. And put that chitta, mirror-like chitta, if you will, in relation to Bhagwan. And then that reflection will come on. Some identification with the Godhead will come. And he says, this is the beginning of what result you will get. It is the end result from yoga and the beginning result you will get from, uh, from kirtan. Because mm. kirtan is, in Krishna kirtan, it's a kind of a, then appeal for intimacy, relationship with, with the Godhead, not merely passive Adoration. So built into Krishna's, to Arjuna's resistance, questioning, his doubting, is something of, of value. He has some bhakti sanskars, so he's not very inclined towards this. And then Krishna answers him. He says, What? He says, Samshayam Mahabahu, Mano Dunigraham Chalam, Abhyasena Takonteya, Bhairagena Chagriyate. He says, no doubt, O mighty armed Mahabaho, he calls Arjuna. No doubt, mighty armed one, the fickle mind is difficult to control. However, O son of Kunti, it can be controlled by practice and detachment. So, he says here, Arjuna, you are like a warrior mighty armed and you're backing down to this fight of yoga so to speak with the mind you're going to chicken out that's unbecoming of you he's kind of addressing him according to his nature he's a warrior by nature he says here you're going to just give up this is a battle life proposed with the mind uh, he says I agree with you it's, it's difficult 
but the best things in life are not always the easiest things. He says, it's difficult, but I think it's possible. You don't think it's possible, but I think it's possible. This is my answer. And it's possible by practice and detachment. He's saying something very practical here. He says that two things. Practice. If you practice to fix the mind in yoga, and the object, of course, is not arbitrary according to the Gita. The object is God. Fix the mind on God. There's potential for that. What if you fix your mind on something else? Then what will it endure even? So, to fix the mind on God, practice this on the one side and detachment on the other. So, the detachment is is that you stop feeding the mind. Therefore, the stepping away to some extent from from worldliness and so forth. And 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 as I said earlier, it was as we began in chapter six, you have to move in the right way in order to be able to to actually sit in the right way. So, in your interaction with the world, some things may not be favorable. Many things. So to move away from that, then the mind was not going to be filled up unnecessarily. Some things you'll have to do, but why complicate the the problem? Make it more difficult. So this is the detachment. And then practice. Practice makes perfect. Now this all has its application in bhakti also, because bhakti has a meditative aspect to it. We do dhyan, we do smarnam in bhakti. But this smarnam can only be done when the heart is sufficiently purified. And this has been brought out very clearly in the early part of this chapter. Because the more desires you have, the more you're going to want to move. You've got things to do. So it's hard to sit. You think you have things to do. So it's hard to sit. Those That means desires are there in the heart. When the heart becomes sufficiently cleansed of wants, of desires, then it's more possible to sit, and be contemplative and inward, and so forth. So there's a stage in bhakti, sadhana, where this smarnam, this meditation, this chapter is about meditation, so there's meditation within bhakti. So this has its application within the yoga of bhakti, also in bhakti sadhana. Bhajan, nam bhajan is different from kirtan, to sit and on beads, for example, and chant quietly. This is this is a limb of of dhyan, of meditation, of smaranam, rather than kirtan. Kirtan can be done anywhere. There are no rules or regulations for that. For dhyan, for smarnam, then there's some pre-qualification, so to speak, some cleansing of the heart that makes it possible. And should be done in a quiet place, pay attention. Kirtan, even if you don't pay attention, there'll be some effect. But there won't be much effect if you don't pay attention to meditation. There won't be any effect, because meditation is about paying attention about focusing the mind, concentrating the mind. So to do to do dhyan, to do bhajan, this, this is not for beginners in bhakti marg. Krishna mentions it in 12th chapter, he says. First thing, which is all about bhakti, 12th chapter is bhakti yoga, directly. 
There he says to Arjun, here's the best thing that you should do. Just become fully absorbed in thoughts of me. Love me, he said. That's what you should do. But if you can't do that, then you can practice loving me. In this section, he's referring about inner life within devotion. You could, there's a stage in which one can practice, just like in here in, uh, in, in this uh, Astanga Yoga. There's a stage in Astanga Yoga when one can actually, from Yamaniyama, Asana, Pratyahara, Dharana, Pratyahara, pushing away the, the world, so to speak, worldliness, thought, Dharana, concentration, Dhyan, meditation, Samadhi. These are stages. We don't just sit down and do Samadhi. We sit down and do Asana with the hope that we'll be able to do Pranayam. They help. Then we can go do Pratyahara. Then we can concentrate, Dharana. Then we can, then we can actually meditate, Dhyan. And then in the context of meditation, Dhyan, there will be Asam Pragyata, as described here, Samadhi. Then Asam Pragyata, Nirvikalp Samadhi. Take some time. So, within the context of bhakti, also, there's a point in which this becomes, this, especially rag bhakti, is in one respect characterized by this smarnam. And so, Krishna is speaking about that there in the twelfth chapter of the Gita. He says, by, "There's a stage in which you can practice this. This is this is means like in bhava, is practice. There is a sadhana to bhava." In bhakti, we have three stages, sadhana, bhava, and prema. Sadhana means spiritual practice. Bhava means practice in ecstasy. And prema means love. Ecstasy means emotion. Emotion is the budding of love, then. The budding of, of spiritual emotion. And it's flowering and bearing fruit. That is a prema. That is siddha. Siddhi, Perfection. One becomes a siddha. Bhav, bhav is a kind of siddha, but there's practice in bhav. There are elements of prem and elements of sadhana in bhav bhakti. Prema suryamsu, samyabhak. It, it is a ray of the sun of prem, ingress into the heart. And then there's a cultivation of that. That is the practice. Cultivation of that bhava. And then, the, and then there's a, there's the bhakti samadhi. He enters the lila, and comes out. He enters and comes out. Then one day he enters, she enters, and doesn't come out. This takes some. So there's a there's a stage for practicing this. And in Arjun, Krishna, in a sense, if we take this verse. In relation to bhakti, which also can be done, this is what he's talking about. It's possible. It's possible to do to do lila seva. It's possible to do seva, sitting down, when the inner landscape is is active and you're able to move there. Before that, one should move outwardly, in such a way as to promote that. This is mean arati and so forth and and. Uh, all these t- cleansing the temple, planting tulsi, and you know, all these uh, 
gathering, studying the book, and these kind of things. We should preoccupy ourselves with all these things. Krishna says, because if you can't practice this, just practice loving me. That's bhava bhakti, to practice loving. Bhava means that the practice is filled with emotion now, spiritual emotion. So to cultivate that, to do abhyas of that, to practice. If you can't do that, then you're busy with these other things. Shravanam, Kirtanam, Archanam, all these things. Samsmarnam on a lower level. Namsmarnam. If you cannot do Namsmarnam, practically how will you do Lilasmarnam? That's not very practical. Therefore, Jiva Goswami has given the progression from Nam to Guna to Rupa. Nam, Rupa, Guna, Lila, Smarnam. And it's all in the name. See the power of name, Nam. In the Nam, in the name of Krishna, Krishna's qualities are there, Krishna's form is there, Krishna's Lila is there. And the name is very generous. Name and Lila are, his Lila, his name, there's no difference. But there is a difference. The difference is that Without any pre-qualification, you can chant the name. And you, there will be an res- effective result. And this is the, what the method that Mahaprabhu was given. By that you will come to Rupasmarnam, Gunasmarnam, Lilasmarnam, in a progression. So this is applicable then, also directly to Bhakti Sadhana. It's possible to, to love Krishna. There's some practice for that, to practice loving Krishna. <laughs> Mm. And, it, and it really st- starts to make sense, as I say, with regard to dhyan, meditation, and samadhi in, in bhav bhakti. Now, before bhav is attained, then what is important? What is the focus? Sharanagati. Sharanagati. Therefore, you're in bhakti school. Here we are given nam and mantram. And the nam is in the vocative. In the mantram is in the dative case. The dative case means surrender. And the names are given in dative case and followed by swaha, swaha, swaha. Swaha means sacrifice, means giving, surrender. So in sadhana state we practice giving. We practice surrendering. And erecting a stage of sharanagati in the heart. Then the drama of Krishna Lila will unfold there in due course. In sadhana, the focus is sharanagati, and in surrender. In bhava, the focus is longing, longing. Some attachment for the object of love has developed. You see, this is a little different than yoga, astanga yoga. There's attachment for the object of love. It's like if you're attached to something, you think about it without trying. Where your heart is, is where your mind goes. So if you're attached to some idea, I want to have such and such card, and you're always thinking about that, and it's going out, finding a way to get there. It's, uh, right, it's fueling that. And so Krishna, the, the, the beauty of bhakti is that Krishna is very beautiful, very charming, easy to become attached to him. Try to become attached to Brahman. Where is it? It's everywhere. Brahman has near vishesh. It has no qualities. You can't even call it Brahman. Brahman is is just pointing to it. It's beyond Brahman. It has no name. It's a. It's a. Has no quality. 
How can you become attached to it? A little difficult. But in a realistic and practical way, you can become attached to Krishna. So the heart, then, the attached mind will come automatically go in that direction. So at a certain point, this, this develops. That is called asakti. This is the end of sadhana. One becomes attached to the object of love. Before that, one will get ruchi and become attached to the practice itself. From attachment to the practice, we'll grow attachment to the object to which our practice is directed. And this will carry us then into bhava bhakti, to graduate from sadhana, bhakti in, 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 in practice. And then to cultivate that, that attachment, to grow that attachment. Again, in bhakti we grow by sangha, means by, by becoming, not by getting away from things, but by getting closer to the center. So for, for devotees, you also want to control your minds. You sit and chant, and it's difficult. It's like Arjuna is saying, I think this is difficult. But it's possible by practice, by detachment. And detachment in this means you should detach yourself from things that are not favorable for bhakti. And attach, pratikul, anukul. Anukul, attach yourself to things that are favorable to bhakti, detach yourself to things that are not favorable to bhakti. Then attachment to the object of bhakti Krishna will be forthcoming. And as that grows, then to cultivate that, that is the business of advanced devotees. So, Krishna finally then concludes before Arjuna asks something else. I agree that yoga is difficult to attain for one whose mind is out of control, but for one whose mind is under control and who strives by the proper method, it's possible. So, Arjuna is a little pacified by this, so then he'll question something further. There's some affection here also in Krishna's answer. He says in the previous verse, which carries into this this final verse of his answer, two, two verses answer, he addressed Krishna and Arjuna in two ways. He said, oh, you are the mighty armed warrior. Here you're giving up the fight. This is unbecoming of you. Oh, Mahabaho. And then he said, listen, Kontea, I think it's possible. I think it's possible, Kontea, by practice and detachment. Kontea means he's referring to him in terms of his their, their common family bond through the mother of, uh, Ar, uh, of uh, Arjun, mother of Arjun, Kunti. So they're cousin brothers, these two. So he's a, he's, he's, this is a very affectionate name that he's addressed Arjun by. And by addressing him through that name, he's, he's saying, I love you, don't worry. <laughs> you don't have to worry about this. You'll be successful, I love you. I'm joking, calling you strong-armed and all. You're a big warrior, but I love you. You'll be successful on that basis. Some practice on your part. You're a powerful person. You shouldn't be shy and uh, afraid. You can, you can endure. And, and besides that, I love you, so definitely you'll be successful. So this is, again, the practice and, 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 and grace. 
and this is really how he's how he's satisfying the doubts of Arjuna. I care about you, so you don't have to worry. You'll be successful. Then Arjuna will place just some further slight doubt and with much even more affection. Uh, Arjuna, uh, Krishna will answer and satisfy him. Then we'll move toward the conclusion of the chapter. Are there any questions? Yes. Thank you for that. As you say, you can say really deep things. Um, I was thinking, like from last class, you were talking about also relationship with Krishna and different kind of forms of God, like Ram and. So what kind of relationship we should have with uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Like, it's mm-hmm. really difficult for me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really get so easily attracted to him mm-hmm. comparing to Krishna. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is, is guru. He started our Sampradaya. Sampradaya means a community of, of lineage. So Jiva Goswami has described him in this way. He started his own Sampradaya. Of course, it's the... It's, it's the he is Krishna, incarnation of Krishna, so therefore it's connected to the Brahma Sampradaya in which Krishna is the is the is the Adi Guru. Krishna spoke to Brahma in Bhagavat, four verses, you know it? And this is this so this is the that's the basis of the whole Bhagavat, which is the and and, and so forth. So then the line comes from Krishna to Brahma, Brahman to Narada, Narada to Vyasa and so forth. And, Madhva. And then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was coming. So this is Krishna coming in his own sampradaya, right? To explain a little something more about what he told Brahma and elaborate upon it. And there are esoteric reasons also for his appearance, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He is Krishna, but in a particular space, a particular mind and uh, um, mood. And um, he is exemplifying the other side of the equation of love. Krishna is the enjoying side and Chaitanya is the sacrificing, giving side. Radha, in the bow, in the mood of Radha, he's coming. And to teach about bhakti is a byproduct of his Krishna's exploration of Radha's vantage point. So, in that sampradaya, then there's some new light given about the significance of Bhagavatam and so forth. It's by the Chaitanya Sampradaya then the significance of Srimad Bhagavatam in terms of its being not only revelation about Krishna, but revelation about Krishna from Radha's perspective, which is the full picture. This is all brought out in Chaitanya Sampradaya. So Jiva Goswami says he started his own founder of his own sampradaya, the Gaudiya sampradaya, the Chaitanya sampradaya. So he's the guru. Guru is the founder of the, he's the acharya. So Krishna has a leela called acharya leela. He has many kinds of leelas, right? He has leelas with his sakas, leelas with his, his parents, leelas with his, his gopas, his gopis, and so forth. Uh, he has leela in Dwarka as a prince. In Vrindavan, as a cowherd, and so many leelas. This is his Acharya leela. So it means he, he, he performs the, the drama, the play of being the guru, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, how we relate to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in terms of a relationship is your question. 
is the same way in which we relate to our Guru. We have a relationship with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu like this. In Dasya Bhakti, you understand Dasya Bhakti? Dasya Bhakti means Dasya, yeah. Dasya Bhakti and Vishrambhena, Guru Seva, means confident uh, service. Confidence means also it borders on friendship, just bordering on that confidence. Vishramba, this is the pra- pradhan of, uh, how you say, of, uh, of, of Sakya. Just, just like Arjun. Arjun is, his bhava is a mixture of Sakya and Dasya. And he's the perfect disciple, right? Bhagavad Gita. So, we cannot be too friendly with the Master. <laughs> But friendly, we feel this is my my friend, older friend, something like that. Older friend can help me. So we have relationship like this with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Dasya Bhakti. In relation to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, gives one a position in Krishna Lila as a Sakha or as Gopi, as a friend or Gopi, very easily through the kirtan in the house of Sri Vastakur with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the ambition is, oh, we'll go to Sri Vasa's house with, with Vishwambar Mishra. Not Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Vishwambar Mishra. Sri Krishna Chaitanya means he took sannyas. Some distance has been created. That's good for us, because through that he preached the Nam Dharma. That's our that's our dasya with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. When we get to Navadvip, then it becomes a little more friendly. That friendly side comes out. So we go with the house, to the house of Srivas with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, perform Sankirtan. And in that Sankirtan, we experience the Brajalila of Krishna in the way that's appropriate, according to Krishna's desire, how he wants to accept service from us there. So make an investment in Navadvip and live in Vrindavan. If you want to get real estate in Vrindavan, you have to invest in Navadvip. And investment in Navadvip means the serving ego, Dasya. From that, then, an ego for serving in Krishna Lila will come naturally. Does that help? So we kind of get to Krishna through Chaitanya kind of for understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Krishna is in, in his most esu, e, most introspective moments, he turns into Chaitanya. When he's examining himself, and he has existential crisis, seeing the measure of Radha's love, he thinks, I thought I was the king of love. Her love exceeds anything I've ever seen. What is it like? Then he, he t- takes on her position. His complexion changes from the sham, dark, to gore. Golden is the complexion of Radha. That's the incarnation then of Chaitanya. So everything about Krishna, you cannot worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and not become acquainted with Krishna because that's what he's all about. His name is Krishna Chaitanya also. That means Krishna consciousness. Chaitanya means consciousness. His name is Krishna consciousness. <laughs> so if we get to know him, you get to know something about Krishna, right? So the idea is that, that we, we worship Krishna because he taught that. His other self, Nityananda, said, I'm teaching, worship him. Hmm. So we follow Nityananda in that regard. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu thought, 
worship Krishna and follow the teachings of Krishna, sing about Krishna. And Nityananda said, Baju Gauranga, Kaha Gauranga, Laha Gauranga, Namare. Worship Gauranga, follow the teachings of Gauranga. <laughs> this is Krishna consciousness. This is, this is the form in which Krishna has come to make himself accessible. So we cannot step, put that aside and, and um, hope to understand what is Radha Krishna. So, still, we worship Krishna. Mahaprabhu Sri Chitandev taught that. But we preface our worship of Krishna with the worship of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So therefore we sing, Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Siddhaita Garada Shivasati Bhakti Brinda, for example. Then we'll sing the names of Krishna. If we do Leela Kirtan, Kirtan describing the Leela, first there will be Kirtan describing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela that corresponds there will be a corresponding lila of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for every Krishna lila. And then we'll enter into the song of Krishna lila, the kirtan of Krishna lila. So, this is the same principle that we go to worship Krishna first, we offer our regard to the Guru. We offer some flower to the Guru, make some petition, now I'm standing, you've introduced me to Krishna, you've asked me to serve him, let me serve him in such a way that will not embarrass you. This is my hope. With your permission, I go there. So first, in the same 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 way with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So we worship Guru and Gauranga, and this then qualifies us to worship Radha and Krishna. That help. So and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is not so difficult to think about having a relationship with because hey, he's had devotee like you and such a nice devotee. Setting such a nice example, how to worship Krishna. So it's easy to become attached to him and think, oh, he's, if I'm going to go to Kirtan, I'll go with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I will enter his Kirtan. What will that be? How close will, will that Kirtan bring me to Krishna? Follow in his mood, in his way, and so forth. As he has shown, he's Acharya, it's Acharya Lila. Acharya means teacher by Achar, by, uh, by example. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna teaching by his own example how to worship him, how to how to do yoga to him, how to make have union with him. So it's 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 not so hard to become attached to your guru, right? So so to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Something like that. Another question? Yes. Could you talk a bit more about the relationship between uh, faith and religious practice or uh, the position of faith in Gaudiya Vaishnavism? Because um, this morning you were talking about uh, like um, um, you don't really have to believe blindly. You can try the method even for a lifetime and then uh, kind of like judge by the results. And um, there are some other religious branches that um, are very faith-centered, in a way. So, um, if I always think of my uh, the critical point is uh, about having faith or not having faith. And if you don't have faith, then uh, uh, religious practice is uh, kind of a uh, hypocritic thing to do. And um, this point of view that you were presenting, it seems quite radically different. 
different in, re, in with respect to without faith you could practice? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what your question is, but um, faith is... I mean, faith is a growing thing. I mean, faith is is um, is really the answering to what you know is true. So it's not artificial. But if 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 I say something, for example, and you know that's true, it hits home. It touches your heart, and you go, "Yeah, that's true. I can't get around it." Then faith means to answer to that, and to to then embrace that and make that part of your life. In this way, you start to build a real firm ground on which to erect the house of bhakti and have, you know, real estate in the place where there's no death. So it's it's a growing thing. and, And we get faith from people who have faith. Faith is, again, everybody has faith of some kind, and that's how they... They move accordingly. What might be called lack of faith in bhakti that causes one to be suspended in their practice or to hesitate in practice is also faith in something else that that you're going to move in the direction of. Hmm? Confidence in something else. So, um, But what we recommend is that if you have a little faith in bhakti, then you apply yourself accordingly. And as the result comes, experience comes, faith is experience. Just like you come here and your experience is good, then you want to come again. <laughs> Naturally. So, But if you get more experience, deeper experience, then naturally you'll be more committed. So in relation to other faiths, I'm not that familiar with their... Other faiths, other other traditions, <laughs> we call them faiths. Then um, I think like Christianity is often portrayed, however accurate it is, I'm not sure, as something that you believe in. And if you believe in it, then even if you don't do anything, then there's usually really not much of a sadhana or practice that's offered. You just believe and then do whatever, or you try to do the right thing, but basically the main thing is to believe, and then in the end you you die and wake up somewhere else. Is kind of the way it's often presented. And people have trouble with that, I think, because they're just believing in something that, that um, they have no experience of, or very little. In, in Eastern traditions, the emphasis is on experience, which you have enough faith to pursue the experience and then you get experience. It's experiential. We are interested in experiential spiritual life and we're interested in this also. What's been, I've mentioned, but what's been discussed in this chapter is, a, is called Jivan Mukti. It's the, the end, end discussion about yoga is, is, is Krishna has, has depicted the Jivan Mukta Jivan Mukta means who's liberated now, who's there now. You've heard the saying, be here now? Well, you can be there now, too. And that's really being here. So, in other words, 
in bhakti, if you want to go, we use the term sometimes, go back to Godhead, when will you go? When you go, that's when you will go. Do you understand? When you go, that's when you go. When you arrive, that's when you're there. So there's a journey. You're on, you're on the journey now, in this life. And to the extent that you progress in this life, and this will come up in the, in the next few verses, and you're not fully successful, you'll take another life and practice. In one of these lives, you'll become perfect in this world, in the here and the now. Realize, that's called Jivan Mukta. That's called in Bhakti Swarup Siddhi. You have to do that now. You're not going to die and you go to Krishna's Leela like that. It doesn't work like that. No. We bring, you bring the Leela into your heart in the here and the now. So it's very much experiential, spiritual practice that we're speaking about. And obviously, a little experience goes a long way. If you chant and practice and you get little experience, that can shape your whole, 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 whole practice then. And a lot of experience. What happens is this, is you, as I said earlier, you start to get this bhakti sanskar, so it's like, like if you take drugs or something, then the brain starts to burn out in certain sections, and then, you know, you get a flashback, you know, there I was. And, at Woodstock, I'm there again. <laughs> Those kind of things. <laughs> I'm from that generation. So, um, so bhakti's like that too. And after a while, what happens is, it, is that the, is that automatically the mind goes to one. Just re- you reflect back on moments of ecstasy, and the ecstasy comes again. Hmm? Or you reflect on the Rath Yatra and go. You go there. That's such a thing. Yeah. So the, the, eventually, the whole whole brain is burned out, so to speak. <laughs> You're on a continual trip. So uh, uh, I don't know if I, how well I'm addressing your question, but um, my point is that we don't ask people to believe in something other than their own experience. If your experience is not such that it fosters serious practice, then what can we? What, we don't expect more than that. We think that you can get more experience, and that you will, and we're patient. In time, hmm? you will apply yourself. We have confidence, also in bhakti sanskar. We have confidence in in that there's life change. This is a life changing event. Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Shastra Koi, Lava Matra, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Siddhi Hai. Lava Matra means a fraction of a second. There's a fraction of a second in relation to bhakti that will change your life forever. That's when you got real Sadhu Sangha, real Satsangha, and without even knowing it, that you got it, perhaps that will change your life. That is the moment that changes your life. Because this bhakti, it doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from the strength of our senses, mind, or intelligence. It comes from above. It's, it's descending from that side to this side. On its own prerogative, it comes. That's grace. And it comes through the medium of the sadhu. 
That's how, through Guru Parampara, through the succession and lineage, it comes to us. And we have to touch that moment that changes the course of your life forever. When it will fully manifest, that's, and all the flowers don't grow in the garden, don't bloom at the same time. Hmm. They'll, all, they'll all bloom. There are ways in which you can stunt the growth, but growth will go on. Nonetheless, the way you may slow it down, you may not water it sufficiently, so then it will limp along, but you're there. You see, the sadhu sangha means, I said we grow in bhakti by sadhu sangha, so it means by, by attachment, by to good company. And what happens in sadhu sangha is two things. In that moment, sadhu attaches himself or herself to you also. <laughs> you know, we're always thinking of it from our perspective. Guru Maharaj, from his talks, some of his students made, uh, with his permission, books. And the first book was, was entitled Search for Sri Krishna. He gave the title, the, the Jiva's the Soul's Search for the Godhead. And then after some time they had collected some other talks and they wanted another title to collect the talks in a particular way, edit them for around a certain title. He said, oh, there must be the other book. What was it called? Loving Search for the Lost Servant. So Krishna's reaching out also. If some sadhu finds some sympathy for you in bhakti, then Krishna's sympathy will go to you. That's love psychology. If I like you, and I'm a devotee of some standing, then Krishna will think, oh, you like her? I like him too. <laughs> that's the nature of love. So let's see how we bring Krishna to us by Sangha. If we meet someone who loves Krishna, and we like that person, and that person likes us, so to speak, yeah. He finds, oh, this, I have a nice disposition. You're interested in spiritual life. You have some sincerity, some honesty about you. I like that. Then, actually, Krishna's attention is going to go to you. That's how we get Krishna's attention. And Krishna doesn't give up as easily as we might. There's two things, there's two sides to the relationship, right? It's not a one sided affair. So, Krishna is active, he's not passive. So, we have that going for us. He won't let go. And so as our experience of this grows, then our practice grows. Then our practice is faith. I mean, it's practical, it's pragmatic. As I said, it's a call, an answer, a response. Krishna calls, Hare Krishna, we respond. Hare Krishna, something like that. Like in Kirtan. Kirtan is the whole, the whole thing is shown right in Kirtan. It's call and response. Krishna reveals, we respond. He reveals more. We respond. Then the kirtan goes to, reaches the crescendo, something like that. And we stop and start again. <laughs> again. So, all right. So that's. Um, you had a question, but maybe we should save it for the next session. We've talked a long time. I know your time is valuable. Bhagavad Gita ki jai. Bhagavad Gita ki jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Kriya.